1: All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
2: And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about insatiable wives, women who stray and the men who love them, essentially sex. We're going to be talk, tackling the taboo topic of female sexuality and alternatives to monogamy. I know I have your ears, uh, if not other body parts, paying attention. My guest is Dr. David Lay. He's a psychologist and he is the author of this new book, Insatiable Wives. Um, David, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. <laughs> um you know i I have been reading your book it is uh it is a page turner and um obviously it's a what three hundred and three no two hundred and almost three hundred pages and obviously we can't uh and and I'm sure you don't want to cover all three hundred pages today, but what I'd like you to do is walk us through the highlights, but starting with um how you know how you began this journey, because uh, I gave you a blurb for this book, and what I found um, as interesting as the subject matter, something that really hasn't been written about um, in popular literature, well, actually, I don't even know if it's fair to call what you wrote popular. I mean, it is popular in a sense, but you this isn't a pop psychology book in the way that term is generally used. You actually... Um, really, have researched this incredibly. Not only with did you do interviews of of various couples uh, and people, but but you went back through literature and you did an amazing amount of research. That that was so. What I found interesting as a psychiatrist was your journey. And I I would like you to tell us about the book in that sense. What sure. made you get interested in this topic? Just take us along with you through the writing of this book.
3: Well, as a psychologist for a number of years, I've um, worked in areas of sexuality. I was largely working with uh, individuals who've been sexually abused and, in many cases, abusers. And uh, a few years ago, I got a little burned out on that subject and felt some interest in uh, trying to explore some of the healthier aspects of sexuality. So in terms of trying to broaden my understanding, I was reaching out to couples who were practicing some forms of sexuality or some forms of relationships that uh, maybe society viewed as unhealthy but that they didn't view as unhealthy or that clinicians uh, were unclear about. Two of the couples that I encountered actually first uh, identified that they lived this kind of lifestyle where the wife was non-monogamous um, and promiscuous, in fact, and the husbands were monogamous. And I was surprised by that. I was even more surprised, though, when these couples told me that... Uh, They had been together decades, married decades, highly educated, highly professional, very successful in their business lives and their family lives, and yet they were engaging in this pretty out-of-the-box sexual behavior.
2: Now, these were couples who just happened to walk into the clinic that you work at, right? This was before you decided to write a book about this.
3: Mm -hmm. Yes, ma'am. Okay, go ahead. And the thing that I found fascinating was even with my own background of working with sexuality, my initial assumptions were, wow, these people must be pretty unhealthy, they must have unhealthy relationships, they must have been sexually abused or something as kids. And uh, I found it fascinating that their life experiences really confronted my assumptions. Um, it led me to sort of question my assumptions, question my judgment, ask myself some questions, and clinically, where were where were my judgments coming from? And so I, when I looked, there was nothing in the literature, there was nothing written about the, this kind of practice. And yet, as I talked to these couples, and then as I started digging, I found out that there is an enormous popular culture right now, uh, largely on the Internet, of people exploring this lifestyle. They call it the the hot wife or the cuckold lifestyle, but essentially it is just couples who are embracing female, permissive female sexual infidelity. And so I started digging in terms of where did this, where where does this come from? Why was I clinically so wrong in my initial judgments? Um, Is this practice new or has it been around a long time? And then also, in terms of human sexuality, what are the origins of it? So I spent about about a year and a half, two years doing essentially the research that you talked about. I interviewed couples across the country. Um, I kind of devoured everything that I could, that would sort of relate to it, both historically, anthropo- an- anthropologically, across the across the world, looking at cultures where uh, female infidelity was kind of acceptable. Um, the, the Inuit culture in Alaska is kind of one of the traditional sort of things that people talk about, about the idea of, oh, if you go up there and you visit, you, visit, you get to have sex with the wife and the igloo. Well, the reality is much more complex than that, but that was one of the kind of uh, one, one of the keys that I started investigating in terms of uh, identifying where and how this has occurred through history and then also trying to understand where and how and why it's occurring now. Yes,
2: okay. Now, before he, before we continue with this, um, no, when has this book hit the bookshelves? B- it book came
3: out uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's available on Amazon uh, or I mean, from we'll, we'll the out... publishers.
2: Okay, well, well, but Have your colleagues, I mean, what kind of, this is going to be very controversial, which, of course, is going to be great for book sales, but, um, you know, the premise that you had, that you seem to have kind of gotten into the idea that your judgments were wrong or that you were judging these people and that you were wrong in doing that. I mean, yes, as a a therapist, um, of course, we're not supposed to judge. But, I mean, let's not even use the word judge, the idea that, that it seemed like psychopathology to mm-hmm. me, it seems like you were very quick, based on just a couple of couples, to think that you were wrong in thinking that um, these this lifestyle you know comes from some kind of pathology, maybe they were abused or or whatever, some kind of childhood background that would ultimately show itself in this way later on, sure what made you so quick to decide that that you were wrong.
3: Well, uh hmm. I think honestly that kind of took some time. Um at first I mean, I I I found their kind of lifestyle or their story fascinating. Really, just in in terms of the way that they were doing so, and so, one of these first couples even told me that the fact that what they were doing um, was so taboo that the taboo that the taboo was very exciting to them. That was a big mm-hmm. part of the turn on. Um, but I found it yeah, again just very interesting because it so confronted kind of my own expectations. And clinically, I mean, one of the things I found in my research was that. There is some research that shows that, in fact, most clinicians make the same judgment yes. that I do. Most yes. clinicians, when they when they encounter this kind of behavior, they make an initial judgment of pathology. So where did I then end up saying, hmm, maybe these folks are not that pathological? Yes. Sure, a bit of it was kind of... Uh, and sample bias of these initial clients that I encountered, but then uh, as I talked to these couples across the country, and then as I started finding again and again and again stories of this both in history and in literature, like Lady mm. Chatterley's Lover, I started finding and believing that this is much more universal than we think, and that uh, while there may be some people who you know are coming to this with some pa- with some pathology, they're no more crazy than the rest of us.
2: Mm-hmm. That That we are just not aware enough as as a society of these the
3: past history of this I think so. I mean, I think that the one of the arguments that I make in the book and, and is is the evolutionary origins of much of this that you know historically and evolutionarily the the argument is that. For a man to raise the child of another man puts that man at risk of not carrying on his genes. And so the idea is for evolutionary success that males must guard jealously against the risk of potentially fathering or raising children that are not theirs. The so that you know, and, and in the 1800s, there were some German writers who uh, who called you know the risk of female infidelity one of the greatest moral uh, uh, greatest moral dangers in society and in the world that it would simply destroy society if men were raising the children of other men. The, so the, we as a society, Western society especially, um, are afraid of female infidelity. You know, Shakespeare is just filled with, uh, references to this. And, and the, you know, the play Othello is, is a wonderful example of the rage and fear with which Western society tells men they should respond to female infidelity with. The interesting thing is that because of that, because of that social kind of stigma, because of that social programming, men who are interested or willing to allow their wives to go have sex with other men and women who might be interested in doing it don't talk about it. These couples that I interviewed, they don't talk to their doctors about it. They don't talk to their therapist about it because they know that if they talk to their therapist about it, the therapist, just like me, is going to judge them and say, you're, you're a slut or you're crazy or you are you know obviously acting out some early kind of pathology that uh, is driving this behavior. So they don't talk about it. And then uh, the literature, whenever, you know, I mentioned Lady Chatterley's Lover, and it's a good example of how the literature deals with this, popular literature deals with with these issues, with the idea that if it happens, it is automatically going to be damaging or destructive to the marriage and to the individuals. In Lady Chatterley's Lover, at the end of the story, everybody ends up unhappy. Hmm. These couples that I saw actually end up no more unhappy than the rest of us. Um, And and some of them end up having remarkably successful 30-year marriages practicing this kind of sexual lifestyle the whole way along.
2: Huh. Well, yes, and and you are going to um, give us some examples of some of these couples. Um, We're going to be coming up to a break, but when we come back, what I'd like you to do is... To uh, take us beyond the two couples and what you did next to besides the research to sort of explore this um, phenomenon to see sure. what it was like in other couples and um, uh, I was starting to ask you before about, about the controversy that this is going to drum up, have you, uh, <laughs> there it is, well we'll talk about that later, what kind of reaction you've been getting so far from your colleagues who have been reading this. So we will come back after the break. Uh, My guest is Dr. David Lay. He is the author of a new book called Insatiable Wives, Women Who Stray, and the Men Who Love Them. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
4: Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now. 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's one 472 5787
5: Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel.
4: Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
6: Welcome back to Dr. Carroll's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman.
2: And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about sex, one of my favorite topics. Um, Probably, well, yes, sex and terrorism. Um, uh, We're talking about Insatiable Wives. The name of the book is Insatiable Wives, Women Who Stray and the Men Who Love Them. The author is Dr. David Lay, who is with us, taking us through his journey uh, of how he got into this topic and decided to write a book about it, so why don 't you uh start up where we left off
3: sure so uh you know as I was saying i you know I'd met these couples and and just uh found their lifestyle quite surprising um I started digging and and found that there just wasn 't much written about it um it, certainly not in any kind of holistic way so i start, as I started trying to then just kind of understand their <clears throat> their lifestyle and choices. Uh um, I- I just frankly recognized that there was an opportunity here to write something um, and put a book out that would maybe fill, fill a bit of a gap. The other, the other thing that I brought to this was that um, uh, some of my mentors in my graduate program are some of the leading uh, evolutionary biologists and psychologists in, in the country that, that do a lot of the writing and, reading, or writing and research about the involvement of evolutionary um, biology. on on current human sexuality. So I was able to bring that kind of niche in, again, to explain some of this stuff. Uh, So as I started digging and started putting some of these things together, um, I started working on the idea of a book and then expanded my scope reaching out and interviewing couples across the country. Now, the way I did it was kind of interesting that... um, uh, I found out that these couples, for the most part, they um, they find their extra men. The, they have different names and kind of words that they call them. They call these men, but it basically these these extra men, these outside men from outside the relationship. Usually, they meet them online, and they meet them uh, through like Craigslist or, or websites like Adult Friend Finder and such, <clears throat> posting personal ads looking for men to come have sex with the, with the wife and uh, so i started posting ads on craigslist uh, for the most part just uh, saying hey look i'm i'm interested in interviewing um people who are engaged in this lifestyle and uh, a lot of people um would write me real concerned that i was i was looking to have sex with the wife myself huh. i wasn't um, a lot, you know. A with lot of people would write me. Your in. Wife. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A lot of people would write me and express concern that I was just looking to try and get them in trouble or to write something um, bad about them. And when they, you know, by and large, when the folks met with me they walked away pretty comfortable. You know, we would sit down and I would do a largely non-clinical kind of interview um, for two to four hours, uh, just getting to know them and focusing more upon them as people and a little less about some of the tawdry sorts of stories of their sexuality, although you you have to understand. And then that's the thing about my book is that um, I do include a lot of these uh, couples stories about sexuality and there's some pretty raunchy and, and, and racy stories in there the but I got to know these people and they were just fascinating I mean one of the one of the first couples I met um, in person I met him out west when I was traveling on business they were an older couple. They had been married. I think when I met them, they'd been married either twenty-seven or thirty years. They had been both of them virgins when they met in the South. They got married. Um, they lived. Ab- I mean, absolutely a a, a kind of you know leave it to Beaver kind of life for twenty years. But then around age fifty, the wife had kind of a midlife crisis and physical issues, and she she went back to her husband and she said, you know. I want to have better sex, and I want to have more sex. And by the way, I've never had an orgasm with you in the entire time we've been married, uh, which was just kind of a staggering sort of revelation for her to put out there. Now, I will say that I've seen couples where uh, women or wives would come and say, Similar sorts of revelations, and it would it would result in a huge fight. It would result in in some cases even domestic violence, as the man, you know, his manhood and his sexual kind of capacity, and was threatened. Right. This husband was different. He said, "Wow, okay, well, let's work on that." So the wife and he reinvigorated their 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 sexuality for a year or two, and 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 they just really started working on reengaging with each other sexually and then uh, about a year later they have this you know very v- vigorous li- sexual connection between the two of them and then they sort of said to each other well why stop there and uh they started Pursuing the idea of having sex with other people. When I met them, the the husband would travel on business, and while he was away, the wife and, and literally had a stable of four or five men that she would go and have sex with um, while the husband was away. And uh, the wife, the thing that was just so interesting with me as, uh, for me, as I talked with them, is that the wife talked about how it, it, that process had just changed her view of herself, her self confidence um her ability to assert herself she, she she talked about being more assertive individually even in non-sexual situations and just being more comfortable being herself she another woman similar Oh wait wait okay, go ahead.
2: let's use that example yeah um okay now why ha, now the man if i can recall did not have sex or or, or i don't really remember did he have sex with other women
3: this man actually, he, he sometimes did, but basically, and the wife said he has permission to, he said it's too much work. That's right. Okay. Well, is that what you have, what have you found um,
2: in as sort of a uh, an overall finding in these men that are comfortable or even enjoy the idea of, um, their wife or their girlfriend, um, their partner, having mm-hmm. sex with other men now, it seems in some of the cases that you that you talk about in your book, um, the man actually was interested in having sex with other men mm-hmm. or other or other women um, and, um, and and this man said it was too much work i mean right. did you find i mean was it mainly men who um, could not or did not want to didn 't want to spend the time satisfying sure. their wife didn 't was uh, didn 't were had performance anxiety didn 't want to be embarrassed what was what were some of the general reasons why these men were fine with this
3: well, I think that there were a lot of reasons why these <clears throat> Why these men were, were, were fine with this or were interested in it for some of the, and some reasons were applicable to some men, some to others. But, you know, you mentioned male bisexuality and that was clearly one of the reasons. Um, some of these men used this historically and in current relationships use this as ways to connect sexually with other men. And either they would have sex with a man with their wife, or it was kind of a vicarious sort of bisexual connection with this other man that was then having sex with their wife. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, though, it was, you know, female sexual capacity is so much greater than male sexual capacity. <clears throat> Females in, you know, Masters and Johnson research and other research sense, you know, are able to have 50 to 60 orgasms in an hour, some of them. The greatest male sexual capacity on record is the ability to have about 25 orgasms in a 24 hour period. Mm-hmm. So that female sexual capacity is just greater. It is just infinitely more, more, more large than male sexual capacity. And I think that some of these men are confident enough with, with who they are that they are then able to, again, vicariously kind of ex- Experience the greater capacity of sexual pleasure that is available to women by watching their wife have pleasure. You know, the men would talk about how good it made them feel to see their wife respond sexually to other men and, and to see their wife have orgasm after orgasm with these other men that they themselves couldn't, couldn't, couldn't bring them to fill that sexual capacity. Well, how is it,
2: though, that these men did not feel... Um... Jealous, emasculated—that mm-hmm. that the wives were um, being so sexually satisfied by these other men and weren't as satisfied with them.
3: Jealousy is a big, interesting question. These non-monogamous lifestyles, um, d- this this hot wife lifestyle, um, polyamory, swinging, etc. One of the things I found is that these folks talk about jealousy. To death. I mean, they, they talk about jealousy nonstop. I, I, and I think that, that that may be one key, is that within these couples, they don't just react to jealousy, but they talk about it. They view jealousy as kind of a signal, not as a big warning sign. So that they, they view it as something, hey, there's something I need to talk about here, not, uh-oh, oh, I need to run, hide, I need to fight, I need to protect my relationship or my wife or everything else. The other thing, though, is that And I think for some of these folks, that jealousy actually is part of the turn-on. You know, the old Mm -hmm. song from the 1960s, you know, Save the Last Dance for Me, Mm -hmm. is about a man watching his wife with other men, knowing he's Mm going to get to take her home. Mm -hmm. You guys don't get to. You get to enjoy being with her for a little while. I get to take her home. Mm -hmm. She's really all mine. And I think that for men also, there is this ego boost of having a wife that other men want. Yes. And they get to take her home. You get, you might get to have her for a little while, and you're envious of me that she belongs to me. Was what some of these men? Would
2: mm, say. Yes, yes, that makes sense. So, tell us about. Oh, <laughs> it's just I look at the um, I look at the clock when I'm just about to tell you say tell us about um, when we come back. Um, sure. I want you to give us some more examples of some of these uh, couples that you met. So essentially, that's. During this, what you said about a year and a half, you Mm -hmm. went around the country.
3: uh, You actually went in person for some of these couples. Yep. Oh yeah, I interviewed. I interviewed about twenty, twenty-five of them in person. I corresponded. Electronically and on the phone with at least another hundred. But I was always real careful with the book. Anything I put in writing was stuff that I was I had confirmed in stories that, of people that I met in person or I conform, confirmed in stuff other than just Internet because I didn't want to fall into the trap of taking what people would email me or mm-hmm. tell me online as gospel. Yes, I had to verify yes. it. And so as, well, I guess we do need to take a <laughs> This is so interesting.
2: It's an insatiable topic, but we do need to take a break. My guest is Dr. David Lay. He's a psychologist and the author of Insatiable Wives, Women Who Stray and the Men Who Love Them. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We will be right back.
6: Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman.
2: And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, with my guest, Dr. David Lay, who is a psychologist and the author of the just-released book, Insatiable Wives, Women Who Stray and the Men Who Love Them. And he is taking us through his journey of writing the book and discovering um, that a lot of these couples didn't have the kind of psychopathology that he was
3: anticipating. So why don't you uh, continue <laughs> with sure. our one of the other interesting couples that I you know that I interviewed that uh, and, you know and again this writing this book was very much a, a therapeutic and educational process for me just as a clinician as a writer as a psychologist trying to address my own kind of understandings one you know I, like i said earlier my initial assumption, I think the assumption of many people is, is they encounter, fo- you know, people who are living sexual lifestyles, you know, different from what we think is the norm. And I'm not so sure the norm is really where we think it is at this point. But we assume that, oh, they must have been abused as a kid. So this one couple that I met, <clears throat> The wife actually was. She was she had grown up in, in a very emotionally and physically abusive family. She literally, at the age of uh, 14 or 15, ran away with the circus, and I'm not even making that up. She lived with the circus for like six months, came home, ended up in foster care, worked her way through foster care, worked her way through college. Well, at some point there she ended up working as a as an escort and then was was a person who would kind of give massages with happy endings to men and she she ran a business that way she 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 was quite successful financially but she never had an emotionally kind of intimate relationship well at some point she met this one man her husband currently And he had had really never been interested in monogamy. They met a few hours into their first date. He says, you know, what do you think about this monogamy thing? And she says, well, I've never been that good at it. And he said, well, neither have I. So they got married, but she continued to work essentially as a high-class prostitute. And he was okay with it for six years. She would go and have sex with other men and then come home to her husband. And it was always the understanding that she that they were not going to be monogamous, and that that was just sort of part of it. The fascinating thing for me, though, was that. It was only the fact that he had given her that freedom, that he had essentially set her free and and married her without the requirement of monogamy that allowed her to let her defenses down enough to engage emotionally with her husband. So that at some point she stopped working as a prostitute because she could kind of give that up now with the freedom that she had in her marriage. She would still see other men sometimes. But it was only... It was only by being not monogamous that she was able to overcome the emotional damage of her early trauma, and I just found that fascinating that that this non-monogamous behavior, this 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 sexually out of the box behavior, was in fact for her not a symptom of her illness, but a way that she was able to overcome the impact of her of her trauma history.
2: Well, um, to play devil's advocate you know that people that women who have been sexually abused as children go either of two ways. Either they become very um, uptight about sex, they usually gain a lot of weight, they're very frigid, um, they don't want men to touch them. They try to keep men away. On the other hand, the other little girls who have been sexually mm-hmm. abused go to the other extreme and become promiscuous. Right. And... Um, so, in this kind of relationship, um, the fact that she was acting out, essentially, the promiscuity aspect, um, you know, I, I don't know how you can still say that that's healthy, because, um, yes, what you know, she was obviously someone with a fear of intimacy because of her childhood, and so um, she didn't want to be in a monogamous marriage or relationship, mm-hmm. um, but... But, you know, it, it it seems like this man, I mean, it, yes, this was a way that they were able to sort of take baby steps to be together, but I don't know that it was exactly the healthiest way. I mean, was this man, for example, um, reaping the benefits of the money that she would bring in from, I mean, he was, whether he was taking them directly or she was sure. just spending it on herself, you know, he was getting some benefit from that, um, plus, I mean, I assume did he also have sexual relationships on his own with you know other women?
3: They they had an open relationship, as I recall, and I think still do, and even currently they have. Um, she's uh, she's now monogamous, and he's engaged um, in in a in an outside relationship, and I forget I forget if it's with a man or a woman. Um, the for them, though, I think that you know, and they, this this one couple, they identify more as polyamorous, which which in my research, the, the polyamorous community are folks that they don't engage in swinging per se, but they engage they they actually pursue relationships, with, you know, with the idea of falling in love with more than one person at a time. Uh-huh. Them this couple. Um, that was really their intent and it was very interesting that they made a distinction between outside sexual relationships and outside romantic relationships that the outside sexual relationships really just to them they, they kind of indicated they almost don't count they they were not something that were a big deal for either of them to kind of worry about or talk about they were both more focused on the dealing with the fear and the issues involved in falling in love with another person and then losing them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, were they were they acting out? I, I don't know. I, the thing that these folks kind of, well, I think that this experience really kind of helped me broaden kind of my definition of health. Um, and be a little more be a little less judgmental i guess on my part in terms of uh my uh, applying my definition of health this couple you know when i saw them and, and actually i saw them uh here in town just a few weeks ago they um, they're still together they've been married i think now 15 years they're you know successful successful parents successful business partners um, have a successful marriage and they define their their lives as pretty healthy, and by most measures, I think we would too. Well, see, the thing is,
2: though, we need to distinguish between being judgmental as therapists, which, of course, is is not good, um, and being able to understand the phenomena that are occurring so that we can be therapeutic. Right. So it's a very fine line, you know, between being more open to um the non-traditionally accepted kinds of sex and love relationships mm-hmm. and not missing something that we could be therapeutic on and and for and and make the couple's relationship healthier in a different way. I mean, you know, get them to um understand the the origins of their behavior based in their childhood right. and so on um, in order to make the intimacy grow between the two of them now i I know you described some couples where it did the, the intimacy did in fact grow you know be, uh, mm-hmm. that uh, like the first couple you were talking about but i mean in my practice, I have seen for example uh, couples where this kind of works the opposite way for example um a couple who uh had been married for many years and um they had been high school sweethearts and at some point the husband you know their sex life was getting a little stale and the husband wanted the wife to start going to strip clubs and um to put a little more you know get them a little more excited and then to come Mm -hmm. home and have um, sex together and have it be more exciting and fulfilling. But, you know, just like with anything, sex and violence um, and drugs, uh, you build up a tolerance, and so you need to take things to the next level in order to get the same amount of, of excitement. And so going to the strip clubs became not as exciting after a while, and so then they did lap dances in the strip clubs, and then they did having a stripper come to their home and, and do lap dances, and then it kept kind of um uh moving to ever higher uh crossing the line mm-hmm. ever more and in fact in the end it it ended up that that um the wife was really just doing this to please the husband and wasn't really that into it but wanted to keep their marriage exciting and, and uh, to keep the husband satisfied and so on. But after a while, he wanted to keep going, and she wanted to stop, and it really
3: damaged their marriage. And I think that happens quite a bit, actually. I mean, I, it, that was, they, you know, in a lot of ways, that story, you know, mirrors the pattern that I saw. That, um, these, this is usually a behavior that is prompted by the men. It's usually not the wife who comes and says, hey, I want to have sex with other people, but the man who comes and says, hey, I want you to have sex with other people. Okay. And then, the, you know, the other interesting thing about your story is that he, I, I do agree that, you know, that this is a way that, Couples are kind of using um, our internal biological and psychological reactions to revitalize or re-in- re-trigger kind of uh, those early sexual relationships. You know, when we first start dating dating somebody, we can't stop thinking about them. We want to have sex with them all the time. But then, after about six months of being with somebody, you know, you, you get to where you you can be away from from them for a little while. You can go a couple of days without having sex. But what happens when we get when when we then get interested or do have a sexual relationship or sexual contact with another person? Our body starts to react, starts to react with that early relationship kind of energy or chemistry, neurochemistry, all the oxytocin, all these chemicals and hormones start flooding our brains, and 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 they do. They bring those chemicals and that energy back to the home relationship, back to the primary marriage. Now I. It, just as you described. Oh, okay, him. wait, wait. I guess Go we ahead.
2: need to we need to leave this on a on a cliffhanger. Uh, we do need to take another break. We'll finish more with what then what then happens? What you saw happens to these couples when we get back? The book is Insatiable Wives: Women Who Stray and the Men Who Love Them. My guest is Dr. David Lay. I'm Dr. Carol Lieberman, your psychiatrist host, and you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch.
7: easy to understand tools and tips with his weekly guests. Jim draws from successes with professionals, college, high school, and youth teams, coaches, and players. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with championship thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time, right here on America's voice voice America.
4: Son, we got to talk about drinking. I know. I know. I don't want you touching alcohol till you're old enough.
6: Yeah, I, I know, Dad. It's not a big deal.
4: Don't, yeah, I know me, okay? And it is a big deal. Underage drinking is just stupid.
6: Yeah, well, why'd you do it?
4: Look, I did it because we didn't know what we know now. Alcohol affects kids differently, okay? When kids drink, it's more dangerous. And you're my kid. And just because they drink doesn't mean you have to. I, I know. I know. Look, son, I'm trying to help. I've seen what it does. I mean, you may think you can handle it, but when you drink, it screws up your judgment. Listen to me.
7: This is real. I I know, okay? I know. Teenagers know everything. So talk about underage drinking before they know it all. Before they're teens. Start talking before they start drinking. And keep talking. To learn more about the dangers of underage drinking and what to say to your kids, go to StopAlcoholAbuse.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council
4: the internet's number one talk station number one talk station
6: voiceamerica.com welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch if you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol dial toll free at 1-866-472-5788 now back to the show here's Dr. Carol Lieberman
2: and welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch I'm your psychiatrist host Dr. Carol Lieberman Talking with you today about insatiable wives with my guest, Dr. David Lay. He's the author of *Insatiable Wives: Women Who Stray and the Men Who Love Them*. And before the break, we were talking about this. Um, I had given an example of a couple, uh, and you were saying that this, some of these patterns, were what you had been finding yourself. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. So, some of the
3: uh, some of these couples. Like you said, the wife kind of goes along with it until she sort of until she sort of says oh, okay that's enough that's it enough for me, enough for me i'm just not into this and and I talk about you know there's one man I include in my in my book um, and one of the only single men i kind of interviewed, and he had had three failed relationships, three failed marriages because of his intense desires to to pursue this kind of lifestyle of watching his wife have sex with other men. Some of the women, though, um, would for some reason, you know, either either within the uh, nature of their relationship, they were okay going along with it, it was something that fulfilled them it was something they found exciting sometimes uh... you know the, some sometimes it's worked out actually in ways that the the man didn't like and you know and and in your story you, you you described you know where the where the wife said okay that's kind of enough is, is it, this isn't exciting to me or, uh, I saw couples interestingly where the reverse happened, where the wife said, "Oh wow, this is great," and uh, she took off and kind of left the man in her dust. And then the man started saying, "Whoa, whoa, we need to slow down. This is this is getting too scary." And you know, one of the, one of the couples I described <clears throat> actually a couple of them where they were out and they had like a rule that they didn't play. The wife didn't have sex with other men in their hometown. But one night they were out at a bar and she had had a few uh, uh, drinks and she got excited and she said to her husband basically, hey, you've been wanting me to take charge while I'm taking charge and I'm going to have some fun tonight. She ended up trying to seduce her boss at the bar. And it triggered all of this complex drama with the boss, with the coworkers, and then with the husband, as then they were trying to decide, whoa, 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 you know, and, and, and how do we put the brakes on this and, and rein this in, in a way that works within our relationship?
2: Yes, because, you know, the tendency would be um, for one or the other partner to to, for things to get out of control, I mean, when you're talking about sex, that's, I mean the whole <laughs> orgasm is is the epitome of being out of control, and so it's very hard to rein these kinds of things in once one person seems to be and there's always that i mean that's that's really the um the most likely scenario that one couple one one partner is going to start enjoying um their arrangement more than the other. Mm-hmm. I mean that's and, and, where the couples break up. That's where you have divorces when all of a sudden, you know, it's more than than one person wanted whether it's the man or the woman.
3: Absolutely. And I think that you know and, and and that's kind of really where my book ends is that I you know that I talk about the the thing that I think makes these couples that are successful at this is the same thing that makes any couple successful and it it is at core basic skills of communication mutual respect support and personal responsibility as these couple and you know, you know, the, the couples that i saw who were able to kind of make this work had incredible communication skills i mean they were able to sit down and finish each other's sentences. There was incredible non-verbal sorts of communication between them. They knew each other's stories, and and they they the 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 respect and the love between these men and women um, was really extraordinary. And, and, and the ones that made it work, you know, the ones that where it failed, I think in many cases these relationships failed for the same reason. For the many of the same reasons that other relationships failed, was you know was their engagement in this behavior um, a a a real thing that broke up their relationship, or was it the other kinds of uh, foundations of their responsibility that they hadn't or foundations of the relationship that they hadn't worked on that really led to the failure, and this behavior was just kind of a symptom.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, um, what about what impacted all of this research? Um, and writing this book have on your own marital relationship
3: you know it's certainly an interesting question. I learned a lot about uh relationship um that I have with my wife, sexuality within a marriage just in general you know i it, the you know my my wife would go away on a on a business trip and come back and and we would have great sex and and I always thought that was just cuz I was happy to see her one of the <laughs> who, who wouldn't be but one of the one of the evolutionary arguments actually is that when a when a woman a female mate has been away from the male mate long enough that she could have had sex with another man the um the male is kind of biologically driven to get in there and compete perhaps and, and, and so now it's funny. I find myself almost self-conscious about when I, you know, when I'm, when I'm getting aroused with my wife. Okay, what is it? You know, is there some biology or some, some evolutionary kind of thing driving me here? Or is this kind of part of our relationship? Well, did you find yourself wanting or to do this with your own wife? Well, not so much, but, you know, it's funny. My wife has always said that she, you know, she she would like to have a harem of husbands. And, and I always thought she was just kind of joking. Now I'm not so sure. Um, however, you know, I will say that, you know, if these husbands came with a resume of being able to work on my car, do the yard work, and if they were good cooks, at this point I'm not sure I would have such a big problem with it.
2: Huh? That's interesting. Well, I think women, um, you know, I, I think that more women than would admit it would want to have harems of husbands. Um, you know, it's not such a, uh, I mean, yes, women are more into having relationships rather than just having sex in general. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just about the sex. It's about uh, developing a relationship. But once married, um, you know, I think a lot of women would really like to have these harems. Well, maybe your book is going to start a trend. <laughs> Talking about that, um, oh, I was going to say that, you know, one thing, I maybe you've thought of this, but um, it would be interesting to go back in a few years and interview these couples again and see what changes occurred in their marriage after this, you know, like in five years or something, to see whether they're still together and what changes. Oh, I hear the music, we need to tell people where to get the book.
3: Uh, the book is available on Amazon, um, Insatiable Wives. Uh, you can also Google it, and Insatiable Wives, and then you can find links to both the Amazon site and the publisher site, Roman and Littlefield, on my blog, insatiablewives.wordpress.com.
2: His blog, again, is insatiablewives.wordpress.com. And, of course, the title of the book, Insatiable Wives, Women Who Stray and the Men Who Love Them. Thank you very much, Dr. David Lay. Um, we, will, we will have to reconvene in a year and see whether, uh, whether <laughs> you've made a, a change in the sexual practices in society as you've um, done your part to lift the taboo.
3: <laughs> Thanks, Carol. It was wonderful to be on.
2: Thank you. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.